Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Good morning, Vietnam! Sorry, wrong podcast. Hello, I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens. And in this podcast, my guest tells me the five things from their life that they treasure enough that they would like to preserve them in a time capsule. They can pick four things that they love or would like to see again, but they must also choose one thing that they regret or find embarrassing or annoying. And that's it. Four good things, one bad thing. And we see where this conversation takes us and what it reveals. My guest in this episode is the actor, writer, and at one point, chat show host, Jack Doherty, who, as an actor, is probably best known for the four series of the comedy show Absolutely, he co-wrote and starred in, and its spin-off sitcom, Mr. Don and Mr. George, which he starred in alongside his Absolutely colleague and friend, Murray Hunter. He played Ben Gary in two series of the advertising sitcom The Creatives and was in the Rob Grant sci-fi series The Strangerers. He also appeared regularly in BBC Three's Bad Olds. And of course he plays Chief Commissioner Cameron Michelson in BBC Scotland's comedy Scott Squad. In 1997, Jack was part of the launch of Channel 5, becoming Britain's first five nights a week chat show host on The Jack Doherty Show. The show also featured some of the first television work of writers Kevin Cecil and Andy Riley, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, and writer-performers David Mitchell and Robert Webb. Not the Jack Doherty Show, which was broadcast when Jack was on holiday, featured guests 
guests including Phil Jupitus, Rich Hall, Melinda Messenger and most notably Graham Norton, who was signed by Channel 4 after his stint to host So Graham Norton. I wonder where that ended up. Anyway, Jack was co-founder of Absolutely Productions, which has produced a number of shows including Trigger Happy TV, The Armstrong and Miller Show, Stress Eric and Megan Mark. And I haven't even told you all the wonderful things that Jack has written, including, in his very early days, Weekending, the news headlines, and the radio series Radioactive that I used to be in when I was an actor. So I'm delighted to be able to present to you the five things that Jack Doherty wants to put in a time capsule. Right, I'm recording. Fantastic. Okay, let's talk about the first thing you want to put in then. Yes. Well... It was for a while I was swithering because I wanted it something from Edinburgh, something from my past. Mm. And for a while, it was actually going to be you, <laughs> Michael Fenton Stevens, because... <laughs> that night, that wonderful night. <laughs> that, that wonderful uh, night. Oh you've, you've destroyed the photographs, haven't you, Michael? Apart from one. That very special one. <laughs> Frame. It's just a nipple. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's over my shoulder here. You can see it in my wall. You were joining me. No, because, of course, you were... I was a teenage boy, mm. and there were you on stage. <laughs> yeah, it's at Mary Street Hall, and you were doing... It must have been really active. Yeah. Angus and Phil and all of that. And until that point, I thought, well, I've never... I, you know, I'd never be able to perform or do anything. And suddenly, I could see people doing it who weren't famous or on the telly, you know? Yeah. Who weren't even necessarily good. No, 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 no. Angus was rubbish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Went nowhere. <laughs> um, but I thought, actually, no, it can't be. It can't be you because I can't put you. Because then who's going to be interviewing me if you uh, go in the time capsule? Yes. So the other thing, the very first thing I'm going to choose, which has been a constant in my life, is, and you have been to Edinburgh, is the very small, round scotch pie. Ah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do indeed, yeah, of course. And that has been a, a source of constant comfort to me <laughs> over the years. And it, I, I have so many memories of that pie. And I'm slightly worried about bringing up the pie because I recently did a podcast with Nick Hancock and uh, Chris England yeah. about football. And this pie was brought up <laughs> in that podcast. <laughs> so I'm slightly concerned. But people who may be tuning into, you know, listening to other podcasts... I've heard me talking about this pie before, but we only we, we briefly mentioned it. We briefly mentioned that's it. fine. And anyway, in the context of football, in, in the context yes. of football, which was a part of it, because my very first football game I ever went to, I was a guest in the director's box because my father knew the director of a burning football club. Wow! And so I was allowed to to go. I'd sit in the director's box, and at halftime, there were free pies. Free pies? As many as I wanted. <laughs> and I died and gone to heaven. The other thing, of course, was the game was in colour, which I couldn't believe yeah. in 1971, because I did obviously a black and white television. <laughs> but this pie, I associate with so many moments of my life, from the football games, obviously. But I, will, I would always have one at my grand's house, you know, on mm. a Sunday. Mm. Not every Sunday, but when we visited where I was dropped off there and my parents would go somewhere else. The pub. Yeah, exactly, the pub. <laughs> or just away from me. <laughs> where are you going? Just away from him. We'll be three hours. <laughs> We're going to just drive around. <laughs> Nobody's going to say a word. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're just not going to be with that person. And uh, so we would have it. And that just a kind of a time of warmth and a comfort and safety of being in my grand and grandpa's little room. Mm. Or out playing in the garden and then she'd call me in 
because, you know, Tom and Jerry would be on. Yeah. Glenn Michael's cartoon cavalcade would be starting. So get upstairs. <laughs> you'd come up and you'd have this little pie. And then my grandfather would take me for this pie. My, grand- my grandfather liked gambling and drinking. So my memory, of course, was he'd say to his wife, I'll just take the boy for a pie. <laughs> and off we'd go on this adventure on the bus to Granton, to the special pie shop. And I'd eat my pie and he'd disappear for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only many years later, I thought, oh, but he's probably down the bookies, actually. Yeah. Or he's gone to the pub or whatever. And we'd come back having had the pie. Mm. My very first date, when I was 11, at the end of the Primary 7 qualifying dance, Yes. me and Alison, after the dance, went to the local fish and chip <gasps> shop. And we sat down and we had a, a, a Knickerbocker glory and a pie. <laughs> so and that was my fir- the first time sitting opposite a woman on an official date, wearing our finery, our kipper ties <laughs> and our purple flared trousers <laughs> in 1971 like, or two, having danced to Slade. Oh, we're all crazy. Look, we're all crazy now. Mama. Yeah. I used it as a weapon once. Me and my mate Kenny had been to see the double bill at the local cinema of James Bond. Probably Goldfinger and you only live twice, but it doesn't matter. Just the, the thrill of two James Bond films, one after the other. <laughs> Which people, when you can stream everything, people don't understand no. the thrill of waiting, mm. waiting for something. And there it was. And we came out and we had a pie supper on the way out. And then these guys came to steal our chips. And one of them was carrying an umbrella and wearing it. was the time of Clockwork Orange. So that we had little mini gangs mm. of young Gorgie rebels. Yeah, it was quite a frightening time, wasn't it? Quite a frightening time. Yeah. Or was it? Now, if you go back now, they're probably about 14. Well, of course they were, but you but were when only... you were 11, t- yeah. exactly, or 10, so they were terrified. We had a bloke at our school who terrorised the whole school. Yeah, you couldn't move for them, it seemed. One eye made up. <laughs> yeah, one eye made oh. up. Or wearing the little hat. and So he was rather jaunty, a little, um, an old gentleman's umbrella. Mm. And he came up and stole all our chips. Ah. And we just had to stand there and watch him eating them because he was so much bigger and terrifying. Mm. And then he walked off, and I was so outraged, and I called after him, and he turned round, and I threw the pie at him, which got him full in the face and exploded <laughs> in a kind of mutton grease pastry. And I I have never run faster. I, mean, I would have Usain bolted it. I mean, it was just the terror. I can still talk about it now. My heart rate has risen. Mm. Because if he'd caught me, whatever his name was, whoever he is, oh. where is he now? We all remember running from bullies. Oh, man, if I You know. do run like the wind, don't you? Yeah, I know. When does it stop? When does it finally, that moment where you don't, when you don't live in terror by walking down the street? Yeah. When you're a little fella, hmm? it's, uh, yeah. But you're not a little fella, are you? No, but I was back then. Right. And then I worked at the Cafe Royal. Do you know the Cafe Royal pub in Edinburgh? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with all the tiles. It's yeah. a beautiful pub. Beautiful. And they would sell them under the glass, the heated glass cabinet. How long had they been there? Who knows how long? <laughs> but we were allowed to take the ones home at the end of the week that hadn't been eaten. All right. So I had about 250 of them in my freezer, in my dad's freezer, when I was about 17 or 18. <laughs> it's astonishing. You're not the size of a house. Well, I, if I was to stand up, I am. This is the point. This is where it all started. Ah. My love of things that are bad for you started, I think, with the Scotch pie. And I am, yeah, no, I'm not a thin gentleman, Michael, I have to say. (laughs) But it's not so much the pies any longer. I don't really get them any longer. No. But it's the sort of thing that I think you shouldn't have too many of. I read an interview with a doctor once who said about donor kebabs that if if you ate three a week, for 20 years, you would almost certainly die. 
It's a very accurate statistic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Almost a, certainly. Almost certainly. It's a data-driven <laughs> accurate test. I don't think it's in the British Medical Journal quite yet. Yeah. The last time I went to Edinburgh, yeah. I was a bit surprised to find lots of different flavours of pie. Oh. That's not traditional. No. No, in fact, there was a curry one, I remember. Oh, yes. No, I have seen that. I, I, I hold no track of that. No. I'm not going along with that. No, 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 no. no. It's lamb. It's or a mutton, in fact, isn't it? Yeah, know? it's mutton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dressed, dressed, not even dressed as lamb. No. Just, it's just mutton <laughs> dressed as a pie. But yes, I could imagine it. But I, I didn't even. I, I wouldn't even hold for putting the beans in the in the little dish. You know, in the little half inch of crust that sits. You know, that rises up from the pie. People put their beans on that, so it's in the pie. Oh yeah, yeah. No, not having it. <laughs> it's just the pure. <laughs> If you're not satisfied with what's inside, don't buy it. it, Don't buy it. Don't have it then. Go get yourself something else. Go off to the River Cafe with your fancy ways. Go off to England. Go on where they do all sorts of ridiculous things with pies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Vegan pies. Balty pies. It's outrageous. What I can't understand, though, is how that first date ever ended. How she's not your wife now. I know. I know. How do you know she isn't? Ah. Ah. There it is. No. Where is she now? Gone. Gone. I know. I Because I paid. Oh, my word. It's the perfect date. You've got purple flares on. Purple flares, yeah. And you buy a girl a pie. But Nick your pocket, Glory. Having <laughs> danced to Slade. But it's, yeah. That's what I think it is. It's just, it's the comfort. It's the comfort factor mm. of it. It's the taste of Scotland. Yeah. It's actually, like I'm sure many people do on this. It's just a way to, to remember being young when you had your whole life ahead of you. Yes, quite. And there's nothing better. <laughs> Unless that bloke with the eyes trying to steal your chips, yeah. in which case, not so good. Yes, it's funny, isn't it? A lot of people look back on their childhood and think, thank goodness I'm through that. Yes. I look on mine and think, and it was full of terror and full of f- yeah, fear, yeah. but it was all right, you got through it. You got through it, yeah, because it was also the greatest fun you could ever have. And it was also a, a time where you did something for the first time every single day, probably. Yeah. You know, and now here we are, grey-haired and cynical. And, you, know, um. <laughs> you talk for yourself. I can't even spell cynical. <laughs> yeah, as I saw when I when I saw you performing. You were certainly. <laughs> Lovely. Yes. What year was that? 1978? I want to nail it down. Uh, it must be 78, yeah. Was it 78? Yes. Okay. I did it at the end of my second year, and then I didn't do Edinburgh the third year. They played the Harriet Watt Theatre. I remember going and seeing it and thinking, oh, I've missed a boat here. <laughs> I think that is a similarity because I say it, driven, but actually I was the one invited in by Murray and Pete as well to the group. I didn't instigate it. I, right. I needed somebody. I always need somebody else to lead. And then, then I, once I was in it, I would be a bit more. I'll take over from here, boys. <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to regret asking me. Um, yeah. It's a wonderful thing, though, isn't it, the longevity of all that? Yeah. When you're in it, you think to yourself, well, this is enormous fun, and what a great yes. month we've spent in Edinburgh. Yes. You don't think this yeah. is going to be the rest of my life. Yeah, I know, that you just kind of stumble into it, yeah. and it becomes the thing that you do. <laughs> I know. I know. And I think had I not grown up in Edinburgh, I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have ended up having this as a career, because I don't think I would have found a way. How do you? Because I wouldn't have come to see you guys. No. I wouldn't have realised that you could, there's a thing where you can just put on shows yourself, mm. and, you know. Obviously, you're starting out now, there's any number of avenues you can go down. But there weren't many back then. No, no, review or becoming an actor, go off to drama school, that sort of thing. I guess so, mm. yeah, yeah. Or the old clubs in the, you know, the other end of the school, you know, as the yes. boys were doing the festival, and then there was the old working men's clubs that were still going in yeah, the Yeah, or holiday camps. Or holiday camps, yeah, yeah. 
know. Yeah. In many ways, that's a route I could have taken. I, yes. I, I, always, I was always an interloper in the Bosch Boys group. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, you could I, have been down Butler's. I could have been easily down there. Yeah. Saying, yeah, come yeah. on, darling, here, go on up. You go, so, here we go. Oh, my old man. <laughs> I would have been me. And what would have been wrong with that? Nothing wrong with it at all. Nothing? No. Yeah, yeah. You would, you would have enjoyed that thoroughly. Yeah, I may well have enjoyed it yeah. more. Who knows? More, <laughs> yeah. Summer seasons as well. You yeah. know, you're, you're down, down at the beach and all that kind of stuff. I've always yeah. admired the work ethic of those people. They work yeah, yeah. Almost, they're yeah. much harder than, much harder, than yeah. the posh boys. Hard work. Yeah, really hard work. Not mining. We need to point out not mining or, or nursing. <laughs> when, we're, when we're talking about it being hard work. In comparison to the very, very easy <laughs> yes. work that we do, yes. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's repetitive work, put it that way. <laughs> it's time-consuming. Yes. All right, talking of time, yes. into the time capsule goes the Scottish pie. Yeah, the Scotch pies. You're, it's where you're allowed to say Scotch. Obviously, we always get really annoyed when foreigners say, oh, you're Scotch. And we go, no, no, we're Scots or Scottish, but the Scotch pie. Right. It's like S-C-O-T-C-H mm. or Scotch the drink or Scotch tea. That's the only time you're allowed to That's say That's the it. only time you like to say Scotch. <laughs> so it's going in the time capsule. So is this like, can, they, can my things be denied entry to the time capsule? No. Oh, no, <laughs> no. So there's no, there's no jeopardy. No jeopardy in this at all. Okay, no. okay. you choose Excellent. them. We put them in, and I become the guardian of it, and I look after it for you. Perfect. And then if you ever say to me, "Do you know what? I really fancy a really fancy a Scotch pie." Yeah, I go. I happen to have one. Open up time capsule. Yeah. How perfect. <laughs> do you know that I do this show called Scott Squad where I play uh, the chief commissioner of the Scottish Police Force? Yes. And one of the most successful viral sketches was when he does a sketch where he goes back to dig up a time capsule that's been buried in 1974, just so we could see what the children were interested in <laughs> back in those days. And the first thing out, of course, is a Gary Glitter LP. Oh, no, we'll, put, we'll put that one back in, and then out <laughs> comes the Stuart Hall. It's a knockout annual. No, sorry, we, we need to, to put that one. Oh, Rolf Harris. Brilliant. Rolf Harris, he used to play. Oh, no. <laughs> My Jim will fix so, it badge. Jim will fix it back. Out he comes. So by the end, he's just going, thank God for Kumola Foam, which is <laughs> Which is, I don't know if it was a drink in England, but it was in Scotland. But when I, when you first, uh, when I first um, heard about your time capsule podcast, I thought of that very sketch. Yes, absolutely. That, that some things need to remain buried. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right, let's move on, Jack, to number two. Well, when I was about five, I found on the beach a very tiny shell, a little con-shaped shell, which was in, in the inside was multicoloured and seemed the most extraordinary thing to my five-year-old eye. And I took it home and I loved it, you know, and it became Sammy the Shell. I carried it everywhere I went. It became inseparable. It was in my pocket all the time. It became my lucky charm. <laughs> and then one day I was in Princess Street Gardens and I lost this shell. Felt like gone. And I was uh, inconsolable. I couldn't live without this little shell. And then about a month after that, my grandfather came to visit and he said, it's extraordinary. I was walking in Princess Street Gardens and I found a shell that looks exactly like the one that you've got, John, <laughs> and gave it to me. And so you're going to think that it's the shell that's going into the time capsule. Mm. But it's not because that's all just bullshit that I told you. Because <laughs> what's actually going in is story. Uh, that's going in because that's just a story mm. that I made up this morning when I thought, how am I going to bring up the <laughs> idea 
of story. And I thought, well, maybe we'll get people to believe. Maybe you could just, in 30 seconds, get people to believe an extraordinary little thing happened with the yeah. shell. <laughs> I did believe you. I did. Oh, yeah, exactly. You see, there you go. No, but then I thought, and, hang on a minute, his granddad would have been too pissed. <laughs> if he'd yeah. said he'd found it in the bookies, I would have believed you. This is why, you see, you work in story yourself, <laughs> because you've instantly, in a script editor way, got in, well, hang on, that's, yeah, there's something wrong with the story. <laughs> Because we already we've already learned about the character of the grandfather yep. in the previous item, <laughs> so he can't be. He could have lost it, or maybe he's seen that I'm very distraught and has gone to the beach and found one that looks very similar. Quite. Maybe it's not the same shell. But none of those things, in fact, none of those things are true. But isn't it great that we we just that that story? Mm. We just spend our lives. <laughs> and so I want to put all story, everything, every single story, because it seems so strange that. And I've read all the books and stories and the seven plots mm. and the structures of stories. And, but it seems such an odd thing that we order the world. And, and I'll spend my day, I'll be watching a television box set, you know, just finished Severance and I've moved on to Hacks. And mm. I'm watching these people who don't exist and their lives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're telling me story. And then I'll, I'll, I'm going to stop watching the television. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this book here by... Jenny Offal, and this one by Margaret Atwood, and I'm going to go into another world of invention. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm writing stories myself. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I mean, obviously on a very low level. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not, not Margaret Atwood. I'm not, no. I'm not suggesting for a moment that I'm Margaret Atwood. <laughs> <laughs> but it just absolutely fascinates me that we as human beings spend so much time. And I'm always struck by some people who don't. You know, I've got friends who go, oh, never read a novel. Why would you do a novel? reading stuff that doesn't happen. I read science or I read history. You know, why Why do we need to invent to create order? And I was at a dinner party once and the, the woman sitting next to me was a, um, a therapist and she just started to say, oh, you're a writer. Why do you write? And it was such a simple question. It just, it almost took the rug from under me. I just, it was like, she might as well have asked me, why do you breathe? <laughs> it's just something that, it seems so innate. Mm that I would be spending my time making things up. But even if that's just a little sketch, yeah. as we've been involved in so much, it's still a little story. You know, it's just this thing happened, then this happened, and this, and that made you laugh because you weren't expecting. You thought the other thing was going to happen. And, and I'd never been asked the question before, and I was completely bamboozled, and I had to say, like, God, why do I? And had this very fascinating conversation with this therapist who talked about, you know, that it's a way of putting order on a random, you know, on a world that's just random. Mm. You know, I walk out now after this and I say, see you soon, Mike, and I'm hit by a goat falling from a, you know, <laughs> from a top floor window. We just don't know what's going to happen. No, and I suppose writing it yourself gives you some sort of control over it. That's it. That's the only way you can control things and you can order things. Mm. And it makes it neater and it tidies up the world and it helps us understand how humans work but it's odd isn't it when you're a child and you make up stories yeah adults often accuse you of lying yes whereas in fact you should be encouraging that inventiveness yeah although technically it's true a, a story is a lie just as i lied to you about my shell yeah. it's a, but they're entertaining lies uh, or they can be used for life but that's where a story you're exactly right that's where story gets dangerous you can see it now in the internet, the internet started telling stories, passing off stories as fact. You can see it in America with millions, tens of millions of people believing that there was fraud in the last election yeah. because they've been told this story by multiple people yeah. and it's a lie and it's completely made up. But they want to believe it. That's the other thing. about it. We, we want to believe certain things. Mm. So it depends on who's telling us the story, doesn't it, as well? And so it's, um, 
it's just something that's absolutely fascinated me. But you're right. I think it's about getting order in your world. It's the only way you can control things. I saw a great interview with Francois Truffaut, I think it was, the French director, who said he couldn't go to dinner with people any longer because he would spend the whole evening going, no, no, stop, cut, cut there. <laughs> no, you've said, said enough. Over to you. We, we, you're a very shot on this. That We need the answer to that. And just couldn't stop direct, couldn't stop telling the story. And even I find a writer of my level, I find that I'll be at a party and I'll be thinking, I left that character I was writing about on Fourth Road Bridge. The other half of my brain is talking to the person, mm-hmm. but this happens going, oh, maybe he could just, maybe what if he jumps off? Oh, that's a good idea. He'll jump off the bridge. <laughs> but then if he lands on a boat, you know, <laughs> but why, why ignore it? And it's a way of getting away from reality, I suppose. Yeah, I've got a terrible habit of taking people's stories. Uh, I think everybody does it to an extent, personalising them. You know, sort of get yes. by because it's much easier to tell the story that it's you. Yes, I, in fact, I've never left the house. <laughs> it's just been known. I'm a recluse. It's terrible. I've never done anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the opposite can happen yeah. at Angus's fortieth birthday. Yeah. I think going back a few years now in Paris. <laughs> in we all Par- went to Paris. Ah, yes, yes. And we all went up the Eiffel Tower and had a fantastic party and then partied through the night. We jumped in a taxi in the clothes we've been wearing for about 40 yeah. hours and we yeah, yeah. rushed to the Gardenor, jumped on the Eurostar. And then as we approached Ashford, yes. I said to my wife, you should get off here. It'll be easier. You don't yeah. want to go all the way to London and come back out again. Get off here. And she went, what? I said, get off at Ashford. You get an Ashford, Tunbridge, Tunbridge, it's easy. She went, oh, well, jumped off the train. And as the train pulled away, I heard bagpipes. And I thought, that's weird. And when I got home that night, she said, yeah, there were bagpipes. It was the very first train to arrive at Ashford. And we were met by bagpipes and hordes of girls with trays of champagne. And (laughs) I got off the train and a French businessman got off the train who went, no, 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 and ran away. I was piped all the way to the main hall where I had to meet the mayor of Ashford and have my photograph taken for the paper. I missed the train. I didn't get home for fucking hours. And this is true. It's an absolutely true story, yes. This is a true story. Yeah. It's a great Not story, a isn't it? It's a story. And yet I know people who've been told that story yes. by people saying, people, we got on the... Uh, it happened. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, yeah. It's like the one about taking, eating the other person's biscuit on the train. Yeah. Everybody, everybody talks about that. Yeah. <laughs> But I think I think it's forgivable for people to, because you're right. Personalising it makes it uh, more powerful. Yeah, I mean, I love stories. I love storytellers, yeah. and I like the fact that I can hear a friend tell a story, and it's a story that I've already heard. But yeah, I enjoy yeah, watching yeah. the fact that they've they've honed it and they've edited it. Yes, and they've made it a better story. I don't yes. object to that at all. I don't say to them, "No, hang on a minute." Last time you said there were only yeah. twenty people. Now, <laughs> yeah, now yeah, it's a yeah. football stadium. What's going yeah. on? Yeah, yeah, because you're script editing it, you're, you're working on it, mm. which is what we do when we're doing our own stories. But that's a very good point, the comfort of getting together with your friends. And you'll have heard a story, you'll have heard this story 25 times. Mm-hmm. More, maybe. Murray and the Fish Trolley. <laughs> I maybe can't tell you Murray and the Fish Trolley, you know, but every time, you know, he will tell the Fish Trolley story. <laughs> and we'll all go, yeah. Or it's even asked for, yes. you know. Fish trolley story. <laughs> but to briefly give, just just so the listeners can have a slight insight, mm. I'm talking about Murray Hunter, who got on a, a tryst, in a tryst with a young lady in a highland port town many, many years ago. And just as things got going, they leant down against and leant onto and got onto the fish trolley, which then, in a last of the summer wine way, started rolling down the pier <laughs> <laughs> towards, the, towards the sea. 
And Mario's left the option, do we bail now? Do we just get off? Or do I try very quickly <laughs> finish what I've started and then we can both leap to safety? <laughs> and of course, that story has been developed and developed and developed. Yeah. I would imagine if we were all there watching it, the trolley probably went about five yards and then they managed to stop it. Mm. But now, in my mind, he's hurtling. <laughs> For ages, desperately, desperately <laughs> yeah, pumping <exactly>. away. Bill <laughs> Burr's buttocks, moonlit <laughs> by the Hebridean moon. And she shouting, <laughs> I can feel the earth move. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly all of that. But yeah, it's exactly. So I love the fact that our lives are strewn together by stories mm. and that we give ourselves endings and, you know, even though, you know, we know. Yeah. We all know the end to everybody's story. It's, yes. You know, it's in the post. We're, we've all got the same end. Um, and I think maybe entertaining ourselves just denies that for a while, doesn't it? Mm. Forget that's on the horizon. Yeah. yeah Stories yeah. are yeah. absolutely crucial in life. Crucial. Yeah, and if yeah, you yeah. think about it, without them, we wouldn't have any knowledge of the past, really, because yeah. it's only recently that things have been written down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, up until then, it was a matter of people just passing things on through yeah, yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the oral tradition, yeah. Yeah, just the storyteller was, was very important in life. Great status. Yeah, and then you go back mm. to the Bible, the Bible, there you go. There's a, there's a collection of stories, you know, some of them quite block, mm-hmm. blockbuster stories, some of them, you know, they really are. <laughs> you know, when you get the, the abridged version for your kids when you're four, you go, this is quite exciting, some of this stuff, you know. <laughs> David and Goliath, this is, you know, amazing, what a tale. My brother, he interestingly, just the other day, told me a story about my dad. Okay. He said... It was an inveterate liar, Dad. And I thought, that's interesting, because I think of him as a storyteller. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Embroidering things. Also denies the power of the white lie that you use to to, to protect somebody. Yeah. You know? There's nothing wrong with that, I think. No, nothing wrong with that. As I, every time I leave the house, how am I looking? I say to my wife, fine, she says, great, she says. <laughs> I, I know she's lying. You know? <laughs> it's like Loudon Wainwright's old thing about the three stages of man, youth, middle age, and hey, you're looking good. yeah my grandfather was like that as well he was i think that's why i was drawn to him because he was a great storyteller and you didn't care if it was true or not it was entertaining magical yeah magical lovely well let's put stories good into the and if i find out later that the ashford kent thing is a lie by the way if i find that out later that this didn't happen to you (laughs) (laughs) what if i've just made that exactly be fantastic. You've gazumped my tiny little shell story. I really, really should have made up the most extraordinary story and <laughs> yeah. lied to you. Yeah, yeah. Damn it. I damn. know. With the perfect callback, I thought you were going to find the little shell in Ashford ah. in one of the bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I might put a little shell in. Yes, you, exactly. The, as a little. Just to remind us of the lie. Exactly. Perfect. Marvellous. Okay, right. On to number three. Sorry to interrupt, but it's ad break time. Hmm, Perhaps we should start a Patreon scheme, and then you could get these podcasts ad-free. In the meantime, though, see you in a minute. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. 
and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back. That's the ads. So let's get back to the podcast and find out what else Jack Doherty, the person that for some reason my spell check insists I should call Jack Doherty, would like to put in his time capsule. I mean, honestly, imagine if my guest was Bach. They'd want me to call him Bach. Number three, we're going for a very big one. We are going for an entire mountain and we're going for El Capitan Mountain in Yosemite. Right. Have you seen El Capitan? I haven't. I mean, I know of it. Yes. Um, it was going to be all mountains for a while. It was good. And I feel slightly guilty that I haven't gone for a, a Scottish mountain because I just love mm. mountains. I just love being in the mountains, walking amongst them, scrambling up them. I'm not a climber. I'm not brave enough <laughs> to be an actual rock. I've got friends who are rock climbers and I'm very jealous of them because it looks sensational, but I don't. I, even when I was younger, I could do a, I could do a ridge walk with a little bit of rope work, but I could never have, you know. No. It's just, it's scary. Yeah, really scary. Really proper. Yeah. I mean, I'm envious of the view. Yeah. The end of it. You know, the sitting on the top and going, wow, look at that. Yeah, that's perfect. But yeah. the effort to get up there, I couldn't be asked. <laughs> yeah, scrambling up there with your pitons and your pickaxes. <laughs> but because I spent a lot of time in my teenage years uh, camping in Glen Etif, uh in the summer, which is very near Glencoe, and there's a number of really beautiful mountains around there. The Booklet of Begs, the Booklet of Moors, the of Ridge, which is a, a great ridge walk. And we would climb all those mountains, and I fell in love with that kind of... But you've got the back, the saddle of these mountains, and then the sheer cliff faces are on the other side, where you've got the proper boys scrambling up. But you've, you know, you, there's always a way up. Thank God for glaciation. Thank God for glaciation, exactly. Slice mm. Other ones, where would we be? Well... <laughs> Life would be a continual Winter Olympics, frankly, <laughs> and it not melted. Um, so it was going to be Glencoe or, or the Ridge, or and then, but then I've a few for about five or six times now. I've been to Yosemite, which is a valley in uh, California, you know, four hours in from San Francisco, and it's the most extraordinary valley with the most extraordinary mountains. And you know, the valley floor is about four thousand feet, and you you climb up another five thousand to get to the top of Ooh. Half Dome, and then there's a four mile walk, and you go up to the Vernal Falls, and then you go up to Upper Yosemite Falls and Lower Yosemite Falls, and you just go. It just you know, you could some of the hikes could last fourteen hours. You've got to set out first thing in the morning. Some of them you could do, in, you know, up and down in in six hours. Mm. But I have twins, and they were both in. Um, one was at Berkeley College for a year, and one was at Occidental College in LA. Right. And so separately, I went hiking with my kids. So we've got so I've got just got so many great memories. That thing where you, oh, I'm going to talk to my kids, and you go out for a pint or dinner, and you don't, of course, no. but lose your, lose yourself in a mountain for you know eight hours. Then you you all everything comes up, everything you could ever think of talking <laughs> about, and you're looking at the most beautiful scenery. 
you ever get a chance, you have to go into Yosemite. It's just, it's breathtaking is overused, I think, obviously for scenery, but this is proper. It's Scotland blown up a hundred times. It's <laughs> yeah. just, it good. But at the v- entrance to the valley is this block of granite called El Capitan, which you could get to by via the Yosemite Falls. So that's a very long hike, but you could stand on top of it and then look down. And you, I could have picked any of the mountains there, but I'm picking this one particularly because of the documentary Free Solo which I watched, which follows Alex Honnold, this climber, who climbs El Capitan without a rope. Oh, God. And it's just, it's one of those, it's become one of those films for me that if it's on, if I turn on the television, it's on, I have to watch it to the end because I can't, it's inconceivable that a human being could do this. Mm. And particularly when you've stood there and you're looking up 3,000 sheer granite, just like marble, and he just sets off with nothing. And climbs all the way. And there's a couple of moments where it's just that he has to do a kind of karate kick to get from one little bit of the mountain to the other and then swing himself around. And you're just dangling over nothing. One oh. little. and But it's just a testament to the brilliance of human beings that someone <laughs> would conceive of doing this. Yeah. Like the guy who did the, you know, the walk across between the Twin Towers, oh. the tightrope walk. Mm. How could you even think of doing that? And then to actually do it. Yeah. The extraordinary thing is that once you set off on a thing like that, that's it. There's no point yeah. halfway going, oh, no, no, sod this. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, you're in it. I mean, maybe 10 foot up, you can go, no, I'm yeah. not, no, no, it's no, a long way. Yeah. I'm going to jump back down. But, <laughs> I'm doubling back. But, you know, <laughs> once you're a certain distance, you might as well keep going. And that's the thing. I suppose that's where his bravery comes from as well, climbing that mountain, because he says after about, you know, 100 feet, it doesn't really matter. Because after 50 feet, you're going to probably die. Mm. So you're, you know, two and a half thousand feet up. It's just the same as being 50 feet up. Well, <laughs> you, not, not really. No. <laughs> You'll have more time. To, more time yeah. to think about it. <laughs> yeah, as you're falling. <laughs> um, so it's just one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I love I love being able to yomp around in the mountains. But now, having been there since seeing that film, I still, I just stand at the bottom of that cliff looking at it going, how on earth mm. could a human being do that? Um but it could be it could be a mountain anywhere. It's just it's my kind of scenery. Yeah. Nothing wrong with Norfolk. I don't you know, big horizon and flatness. It's beautiful. And all that. But I, I don't know. I just feel at home somehow in it, mountains. I am completely the opposite. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So you're you're a flat. You're a Norfolk. Maybe I'm you know brought up in Kent. And yeah. I, <laughs> well, that's maybe yeah. I like slightly rolling hills. Yeah. Nothing too dramatic. With a pub round the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. My wife's a bit like that. She, she'll come with me, but she's a bit nah. It's a bit too you know. It's overwhelming at times. It's a bit Glencoe. People find that with Glencoe. It's mm. a little bit threatening. You know, it's on both sides of you. It's a bit kind of odd, dramatic, and crazy. And maybe it's all because I've descended from both Campbell's and McDonald's. And there was the, and there was the big slaughter in Glencoe. So maybe it's something innate, maybe. something Jungian deep within me. But uh, check out El Capitan. Yeah, I will. If you're ever in America, head up there because it's an amazing thing to see, really. It sounds extraordinary. What a wonderful thing. But I'm going to dig an enormous hole. Yes. Put it in the time <laughs> yes. capsule and bury it for you. It's a big one. Yeah, wonderful. The thought of it, the thought of being halfway up there, yeah. hanging by your fingertips. And then having the, well, you have no option, do you, but to just yeah. swing out. Here we go. To swing out, yeah. And, and the guys that filmed the free solo movie as well, I mean, they're on ropes. They're dangling, you know, with all with the equipment, and just hanging there in midair, trying to get all these shots of the guy <laughs> doing it, yeah. but not disturbing him, of course. Or help. Yeah, exactly. They can. And they're all really close personal friends of his. Ah. So they're, they're, for me, the big issue, you know, they're saying is that, you know, I, what if I'm filming my friend dying? You're going, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what could happen. Yeah, quite. But it's just the the mission is bigger 
in them, you know. All we've got to do is help him do it as safely as possible because mm. he's going to do it. He's going to do it. No but then, as what. you said earlier, you, you yeah. walk out, a tree falls on yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Who knows? So you might as well. For you and me, down the pub. We'll take our risks walking to the pub. <laughs> yes. That, that'll be your well, way. Actually, you know, I'll get a taxi. It's all right. Yeah, okay, let's get a taxi. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. El Capitan, into the time capsule. Fantastic. Marvellous. Okay, so we've got two left. Two left. Mm. Okay, my last one to keep. Yeah. Uh, having gone for the pie, which seems kind of, yeah, moderately lowbrow, I thought we'd better have something properly arty. Okay. To come along with us. But you've had the pie, and then you've had the exercise in the mountains. Yeah, well, he's got rid of the, the pie. Mm-hmm. So now we need something to... I mean, we've got stories, so I, said, I guess it's a similar kind of thing. But I'm going to go for Rodin's The Kiss, the sculpture. Right. I'm going to go for that thing. Because we want a little bit of art in there. Mm. And it's a piece of art that shows man and woman kissing. So it's got romance, it's got life, it's it's got the... You know, the, there you are, you look at that, and you know it's leading on to something that, you know even if the genitals are quite small in the <laughs> original scope. You know what's going to happen with these. Yeah. And we're all from this moment. We're all from this moment, mm. from this kiss, this kiss leading to a sexual encounter, leading to us being born. And I went to see it in, well, there's a, a couple of versions of it, but the one in Paris in the Rodin Museum. And what I loved about it, it was a bit like a Richard Curtis, end, end of a, like a Notting Hill thing. Yeah. And I sat there for about an hour just looking at it, and every single couple that walk in and see it, do it and take a selfie of them kissing in the same way <laughs> as the kids. But not one of them got naked. Uh, not one of them got butt naked, no. no. <laughs> but it's a great way to spend an hour looking at it and going, look at all these people. Here they are in Paris, you know, they're, they're in a perfect time of their relationship. They're, they're loving this thing. What a great symbol of love. Mm. And then, of course, you read about the sculpture, and it's not about that at all. You know, it's about, um, you know, Paolo and Francesca. It was originally from Dante's, Inferno. Right. So they're having a, they're having an affair, and they're caught by Francesca's husband immediately after this kiss, and killed, <laughs> and condemned to walk, <laughs> and, and walk the corridors of hell for the rest of time. So again, that's you're sitting there going, "This is wonderful, isn't it? Isn't and again, what a metaphor for life? Isn't this a wonderful thing? <laughs> and we're kissing, and it's romance, and here's everybody. But the horror that lies behind it, yeah." Just waiting for us there. So again, it's it's what's hidden behind. If you dig around in anything, mm. it's great. But I but I like it because on the surface, it's a symbol. It's a great symbol of romance and 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 and, and love and, and procreation. And then beyond that, there's other other people commissioned versions of it. So there was a guy in Lewis. In fact, he was an American, a Bostonian. I forget his name. Um, I could find it though. I'll take a pause. I did write it down just in case you wanted it. Yes, Edward Perry Warren. Right. Who was a gay guy from Boston. And he commissioned his version from Rodin for about eight grand. And he lived in Lewis with his with his lover called Johnny somebody. But he had one stipulation. He said he wanted the genitals to be more lifelike and bigger. <laughs> he didn't want two men. No, he didn't want two men. But he, yeah, he, just, he still wanted that kiss. Mm. I think maybe two men would just have gone in 1904. But true, yes. Had him locked up. <laughs> where the pitchforks, yes. Yeah, exactly. But that just also made me laugh that this is where... That was his excitement. He could pay for it, you know. He didn't have the internet. He wanted Rodin to make him a sculpture with a more lifelike penis. On. <laughs> and he did, but then he didn't like it. And so he put it, he gave it in Lewis Town Hall. And then a woman called Miss Fowler Tut, perfectly. And again, this is, I'm not making this up. <laughs> Miss Fowler Tut 
objected to it because it was so pornographic. <laughs> so they put a tarpaulin over it. And then because the soldiers heading off to World War One were getting too excited by it. So they had to cover oh. this this statue of the kiss. I just I just let again, we're back to stories slightly here. But that something if you're trying to look for something, a, a story of innocence, the idea that this sculpture would arouse passions mm. so much that it would be a danger to society. <laughs> If Miss Fowler Tut could come forward in time <laughs> and have five minutes on Pornhub, what would Miss Fowler Tut yeah, think? Yeah, quite. I mean, it's astonishing, though, isn't it, to look at, well, almost any sculpture. But um, I've seen that, and it is, yeah. you can't believe, it's not one thing. It's its extraordinary. They are definitely yeah. two bodies, but they are touching. Yes. And yet it's made out of one piece of rock. Yeah, yeah. One great big square piece of rock. From that, somebody chipped away. Yeah, yeah. And that's true of all the sculptures. It's an amazing skill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, just to remove, just to remove enough stuff <laughs> to yeah. make it look like something, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing. You go and see the Three Graces, any sculpture, David, anything. You always sit in front of it thinking exactly what you've just said. Mm. How did he, what, one little slip, oh, no. And, and also, did you not think of doing it the other way, sort of starting with nothing and building it up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Surely that would have yeah. been easier. Yes. Well, I suppose that's clay modelling, isn't it? Yeah. Creating something should have been easier, but yes, to reduce, to chisel away. There's a metaphor in there somewhere as well, Michael. There must have been many times in history where those great sculptors worked away on something for six months and they just come to the last bit and they go, there we are. Like, oh, just a little bit off that arm. Ah! Oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gone. Gone. Or you don't like it, you know, you just throw it. As, as you know, Edward Perry Warren didn't like it in the end. He thought he wanted more realistic genitalia. But it turns out he doesn't. It ruined the sculpture in a way. Or when you look at it, I said you look at it for so long and you eventually go, hang on, his hand's a bit big. His hand's too big. Yeah. <laughs> or is her buttock too small? I don't know. It's, you know. <laughs> her body looks almost, it looks like a man. What's weird. Yeah. There are a lot of sculptures on there where, in fact, the bodies of women look like the bodies of young men. Greek sculpture, of course, a lot of us like that. Well, because as we know. As we know. Back in the, yes. Back in the day. <laughs> With those Greeks. But yeah, but it's a to have something there as well that's form, that's got a little bit of male and female form, mm. I think. It'd be nice to have to have that, a representation of our differences. It's a crazy thing that we've all come from, you know, the moments after that. Here we are. Particularly when you look at your own parents. And the way that my children look at me now. <laughs> Quite. Shaking their heads going, good Lord. No, no, no. <laughs> Did he really? First of all, I don't believe he could do. And secondly, who do it with him? No. Whereas to us. Oh, oh very much. You so. and me, look at us, young men, my goodness. You'd have to look far and wide to find to find a specimen of manhood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd be called granddad, sarcastically, by the youth. Oh, shout granddad. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I mean, I know you literally are a granddad, so that's fine for you. Well done, very accurate. Yeah, well spotted. Here are my grandchildren. <laughs> but yes, well, that's the problem. We're headed mm. that, you see, eventually. I've spent my entire, you know, since the guy stole my chips, I've spent my entire life not being worried. But there'll come a time, I'll be 75, and I'll be worried that someone's going to steal my chips again. Probably. Be the same bloke. Be the same got, bloke, yeah. <laughs> with a big dent in his forehead from where that pie hit him. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Well, I, mean, I could take him now. I could take him now, I'm sure. He was only a couple of years old. I'm sure he'd be fine. All right, OK, we're going to put the kiss in. Marvellous. That's the last thing that you'd like to put in that you want to keep. Now we have the thing that you'd like to reject from your life. Yeah. Before I get on to it, actually, I just say, maybe you could do a map. The, the El Capitan granite, there would be the sculpture. It's all tying up. There you are. The kiss. A huge kiss. 3,000 feet tall. 
Then claim that. Claim that. <laughs> People say, now those genitals are not. <laughs> yeah, it's old scale. <laughs> I love the idea of people in the valley below all standing there imitating the kiss. Yes, yes. that'd be perfect. Anyway, apropos of that, uh, so what we're, um, we don't want to keep, what I want to get rid of is it's got many voices. I spoke to uh, my friend, uh, many names. My friend Pete, who's also a therapist, says it's technically called the critical inner voice ah. or the self-saboteur, it's called, or I believe... Uh, Jung called it the shadow, and that's the voice. The person that lives in your head telling you that you're terrible, telling you that you're rubbish, Mm. telling you that you're not talented, you're not worthwhile, you're worthless, you're you're, you're certainly ugly, you're certainly boring. Just that, that guy who lives within you, that voice, which I think you need a little bit of. We need a little bit of self-criticism, otherwise you become... You know, Trump or somebody like that. Yeah, just, quite. We all know people who don't have that voice in there. Who don't head. have that voice, who are so overwhelmed with self-belief that nothing else matters. Mm. But I think a lot of us, I definitely feel that I, I, it's too strong a voice in my mind and that actually I haven't taken enough risks and I haven't done work that I'd maybe like to have gone for or or, or in my 20s, a girl I might have asked out or, mm. or, you know, attempted to do this sport better than I... Because of this voice, going, well, there's no point, mate, what are you... Do you think you're not gonna? It's gonna be a catastrophe, you try that. Well, you, you can't. You can't play Shakespeare. You're rubbish. You're rubbish. And she's not gonna say yes because she's totally out of your league. And you're mm. just this little idiotic Scotsman. And she sit down, sit over there, and shut up. That's, yeah. You know, go and write one of your jokes. Yeah, exactly. Go and write just a silly. That's your level. Just a joke. Don't. Well, could I possibly write? Maybe I could write something more. Uh, serious, like a novel. Don't don't be so ridiculous. A novel. A novel. <laughs> Who do you think you are? And it's almost like a double act. At times I could be talking to this guy going, well, this has nothing to do with you. I, I'm going to do it anyway. Just you go and fuck off. But enough <laughs> of you. You know, I did recently do a play. I'd never written a play before. I'd always had comedy. I did a one-act play that mm. I wrote for myself. And it worked and it, it, it played very well and it got probably the best crits that I've ever had. And it was almost like I was walking home from the first night talking to this guy going, oh, ah, there, I think it's a smart. <laughs> Look at that, eh? I just, I, it was okay. So it's just trying to sit and dampen him down. And I think all performers get it. I'm really struck by how many performers say, I'll be in front of an audience, there'll be 500 people there laughing and I'll just see this one guy sitting, scowling. And the voice is going, yeah, look at him. He's got your number, hasn't he? Those other 499 people, idiots. Yeah, you pull the wall over these other people's eyes. Yeah. He knows. He knows. He knows the truth. He's got your number. So if you let that voice get too loud, I think you're in trouble and you won't take enough risks and you won't do your best work and all of that. So I'd like him, maybe we can't banish him completely. He just needs to calm down. Speak when you've spoken to, I think, with, with that guy. I'll ask for advice. When I you. ask, yeah. Do you think Jennifer Lopez is out of my league? Yes, she is. Good. That's what I thought. Yeah, I just wanted it confirmed. Confirmed, yeah. Not the constant whining. So, um, yeah, if you could kick him out for me, that would be, I'd be delighted. Delighted. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. I'll give you a sort of a volume button. Yes. Ah, perfect. Turn him up, turn him down. Just go, all right, I've heard enough from you. Thank you very much. I'm going to have a go. Thank you very much. Now, that's what you're talking about there is mental health, actually. That's, <laughs> that's where we all want to get to. We would just turn it down. Take no notice. We don't need that voice. Mm. Enough. It's funny, I think I do have that knob that I can turn down. So you could, yeah, you're good, you're nicely I'm quite good at it. going, oh, well, come on, have a go. 
Yeah, 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 good. But actually, yeah. maybe that's more to do with the fact that I really care about how I look if it doesn't work. Yes, I think that could be a key element here. Mm. That if maybe it's your, it's another version of managing your own failure, maybe that yeah. you think. Yeah. I used to be very concerned about how people regarded me or what they thought of me. Yeah, yeah. I used to be concerned about that, but less and less as life goes yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm definitely the same. And that's why I'm, I am doing things now that I wouldn't have done a while back because I've got more confidence and more yeah. belief in trying things. And I, and it's definitely tied in with that as well, just not caring. Because it doesn't matter. No, yeah. if you'd rung me yeah. instead of, you know, listening to that bloke <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you'd said to me 10 years ago, shall I have a go at writing a play? I would have gone, yeah. Yeah, 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 of, of course. course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we wrote an enormous amount of stuff for Radioactive over the many years. Yeah. But the best sketch was written by you and Murray. Ah, oh, well, there you go. Of course. Of course. Now, had I listened to that man going, you don't, you can't write for Radioactive. Yeah. But yes, you're right. Fortunately, it hasn't been. It's not controlled me too much. I still managed to, I mm. have managed to turn him down enough. But there's been a couple of moments in my life where he's been a little too loud. Okay. Well, I'll put you back in control. Perfect, perfect. There we are. We've sorted it all out. It's marvellous and some really lovely things. I'm absolutely starving ever since you mentioned Scotch pie. Oh, man, I'd kill for Scotch pie now, but oh. we're probably both in England right now, aren't we? We're both in we're England. We're both in England. Where are we going to get a Scotch pie? I don't know. No. Well, I'll write something very successful. I'll have them helicoptered to you in Tunbridge Wells. <laughs> well, your three-act play, obviously. Uh, well, yeah, exactly, Once I've done, which I'm going to do now because we've shut that guy up. <laughs> yes, so, no, it's going to be a musical. And I'm going to spend the next ten years saying to people, I'm really sorry, it's my fault. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know it's shit. I know. Well, we all tried to tell him, but he just wouldn't listen. We didn't need another Phantom of the Opera. We didn't need it. <laughs> we didn't need the first one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jack, it's fantastic to talk to you. Thank you very much. How lovely of you. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to My Time Capsule. With me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Jack Doherty. Please do subscribe, rate, or even review this podcast. I do read all the reviews and really appreciate the lovely things people have said. Unfortunately, they don't allow me to write back. I suppose that's to stop me badgering anyone who writes something unpleasant, (laughs) as if I would. And in fact, out of a really heartwarmingly huge number of people who've taken time to write something, only one has said that they didn't like it. Oh, you know the bloke. He's the one where I camp on the verge outside his house and shout obscenities through a megaphone all night. Well, I did, until recently. Bloody court order. Still don't let that put you off. You might also want to follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and slash or Facebook. I hope it will be worth it. I love hearing from well-wishers, apart from those who want to throw me down one. You can listen to the theme tune anytime on Spotify. Just search the composer, Pass the Peas Music. This was a cast-off production for Acast. It was produced by John Fenton Stevens. Okay, we'll be back very soon with another episode and another lovely guest. And of course, me. And let's face it, I'm pretty hard to forget. Although I would suggest it's well worth the effort. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? 
Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.